Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. All right, we're still in Romans. Yes. What chapter? Chapter 3. We're going to be there a while. And uh, we've gotten down to verses 21 through um, 31. And as I was thinking about this this morning, um, probably, probably of all of the passages that talk about salvation, this is probably the most meaty, deep, definitive passage in the entire New Testament about it. Um, It's one of those passages that if we really put our minds to it, we could be here till the end of summer talking about. We're not going to do that. But there's just so much here. This is, again, I was thinking, I'm trying to think if there's any other passage in the New Testament that encapsulates this whole idea of what it means to be saved and how one is saved than this one, and I can't think of any. In fact, really, Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8 are just an expansion of the ideas that he lays out here. It's just sort of filling it out a little bit more. All right? Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. We talked last week that if it wasn't for grace, what is the only way possible back to God? Perfect obedience. Not one screw-up, not one sin, not one error. And even if you could live a life like that, what are you still stuck with? You're born into sin. So even if you were, even if it were possible to not sin, you still have the imputed guilt of Adam. And Paul is saying, but now the righteousness of God. See, there's two righteousnesses in the universe. There's the righteousness by works, and there's God's righteousness. Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I want to stand before God, not having my own righteousness, which is by the law. That is a brand of righteousness. It's just not good enough. Or the righteousness of God, which is by faith. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The righteousness of God outside of the law has been revealed. And the idea of reveal there, again, I think that is a present tense. It means it's been there all along. It's not something that's new. It's been there. It's a perfect tense verb. Remember, what does perfect tense mean? Past action, continuing results. It was manifested, and it is still manifested. It was there, and it is still there. Okay? It didn't, it's not something that happened in the past. It's, it's been there all along, basically. They just missed it. And it was witnessed by who? The Law and the Prophets. Now, to the Jew, what is that? If I say, the Law and the Prophets, what is that? They're scriptures. They're Bible. The Old Testament. The Old Testament. What did Christ say? They have Moses and the prophets. Moses' law, prophets, everything else. It's there. 
And that's one of the interesting things that Christ was constantly beating up against the Pharisees, saying, you guys missed the whole point of your law. You make yourself as experts of the law, and you missed the point of the entire thing. This is not something new. Paul didn't say, I, I came up with this on the road to Damascus. It's witnessed by the law and the prophets. And when Christ was with the guys on the road to Emmaus, where did he start? Starting with Moses and the prophets, he told them how Christ should suffer and enter into his glory. He didn't say, this is some new information you haven't heard before. Where did he, where'd he go? To the Bible, to, the, to their Bible. It's there. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who what? Believe. All you need to do is believe. Now he's going to prove this in chapter 4 when he's talking about Abraham and David. But Paul is saying you don't get this by your works, you get this by trust, by belief in God, by, obey, by believing what God tells you. For there's no distinction. Distinction from what? Well, who the groups, who's he talking about here? There's no distinction in any of these groups I've been talking about, whether you're a heathen guy out in the middle of Bongo Bongo, whether you're just a, a very smart, you know, sophisticated person, or you're a Jew. There's no difference in any of you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Not one of you has made it. Doesn't matter. And again, here's the, here's the thing. We, we want to figure out... Well, why is somebody at the spot they're in? That, that is an irrelevant question when it comes to salvation because we all get to the mess in different ways, don't we? That's completely irrelevant. The question is, what do I do now? It's not how do I get to the spot I'm in. It's what do I do now? If you go to the hospital and you've got a massive injury, they're not going to sit there and spend a month trying to figure out how you got your injury. They're going to patch you up. And then they'll worry about where you might have gotten it, but right now we need to take care of the problem. We all approach God with our lives in messes, and we all do it different ways, don't we? But the question is not how did you get there, the question is what do you do from here on out? And are justified by His grace as what? A gift. You're declared righteous. Declared. What does it mean to be declared righteous? Acquitted. Before the bar of God, before the judge of the universe, your case is dismissed. Why is it dismissed? Because you didn't do it? No, it's because somebody paid the penalty for you. See, there's this idea today that that's floating around in evangelical circles is somehow God sets his justice aside for love. We talked about a guy, Furtick, last week. He basically said God set aside his justice on the basis of love. God overruled his attribute of justice with his attribute of love. No such thing. That is not the way God operates. That's not who God is. All of God's attributes are equal and, and they're all of all. So how can God be just and the justifier? We're going to find that out here. But it's not because God just said, I, you know, I'm, in this instance, I'm not going to worry about my justice. I'll just let him get away with it. Somebody paid the penalty. And that is what? We're just by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is a wonderful word. It means to be set free. 
Tro means to be loosed from something. Apo is from, lutro is to be loosed, to be set free. What did Christ do? He set us free from the bondage of sin. He set us free from that. And <clears throat> really, chapter 6 and 7 is a commentary on that little statement there. You're set free. See, we have this idea that, well, I want to be free and do what I want to do. Are you free? Is the pagan free? Nope. No, what are they, what are they a slave to? Sin. Sin. Watch the TV talk shows and the drivel that goes on there. They, they think they're free. They think they're independent. They can do what they want. I have freedom. No, you don't. You're, you're a slave to whatever your nature is. That's what Paul says in Romans 6, 7, right? You're a slave to sin or you're a slave to God. Who do you want to be a slave to? God. Yeah. And what Christ has done is he's redeemed us. He bought us. Some, some have used this word to buy out of the marketplace. That's ex agorazo, to buy out, to, re, to redeem from the marketplace. But the idea there is that he has set us free from the penalty of sin. And how did he do this? How was it that Christ bought us out of the marketplace? whom he set forth as a propitiation. Wonderful world. It's hilasterion. It's a great, interesting word. It means covering. Covering. In the Hebrew word, it was kafar. Kafar meant to cover. When Noah built the ark, what did he do? He kafared it with pitch. What's that? What, did the, what did the pitch do? It kept the water out. It covered it. And in the Old Testament, when you had the mercy seat, and once a year the priest would go in and he would put the blood on the mercy seat, what did he do? What did that do? That covered the sins of Israel for a year. Did it take them away? No, it didn't. It covered them. It was a satisfaction. Christ is the satisfaction. And by the way, this is extremely important, this point here. This is why you need to watch Christ crucified. Because there's a lot of so-called evangelical type people out there that say, Jesus really didn't take your place on the cross. That would be unfair of God to punish his son for you. Well, let's ask a question. Did Christ go to the cross? Was Christ forced onto the cross by the Father? No. He did it of his own free will. And by the way, is Christ God? Yes. Yeah. So God did not force God on the cross. Don't, don't go there. See, that's human thinking. You got to set aside your human thinking. God is not like you. He doesn't think like you. Christ was not forced onto the cross. And by the way, when did this plan of the redemption, when did this plan of Christ paying the penalty for sin, when did God come up with that? Before time began. Now, what was, who existed before time? What existed before time began? God. I thought it was covenants that God wanted you to adhere to. No. No. 
before time began, that was a picture, but before time began, Christ was, Christ was foreordained before the foundation of the world to be our substitute. <coughs> what existed before the foundation of the universe? God. Nothing was there. Nothing existed, just God. So this is not something that's new. It's not something that God came up with plan B. This was it, cooked in from the beginning. And we don't like that. You know, why would God send his son to die for me? That's the heart of the gospel. You take that out, you don't have a gospel. If you do not believe that Jesus died for your sins, you're not a Christian. I don't care if you go to church or not. I don't care if you preach and have a big congregation and all this other stuff. You're not a Christian. That's not going to get you there. What does it say here? Christ was a propitiation by his blood. He was the satisfaction. He satisfied the wrath of God. That's not fair. Forget fairness. That's the way it is. There's a great word picture in Hebrews where Christ, in, in, in the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews says, Christ was not only the high priest, he was the sacrifice. He entered the holy place in heaven with what? His own blood. And by the way, let's understand something. That's not the physical fluid it's talking about. What does it mean? Whoever sheds man blood by man, his blood be shed. So if I cut you, you got to cut me and bleed? What does that mean? Death. It's not the physical fluid of Christ that saves me. It's his death as a bloody sacrifice that saves me. Blood is a picture of it. Would it have done any good for the priest to go and take a lamb and just drain a little bit of the blood out of the lamb and let it go bob on off the line and then take that blood and bring it into the mercy seat? And Hey, that's blood. It's good. What had to happen? It had to die. The animal had to die. Christ died for me. His blood i.e. his life is that which satisfies the wrath of God. One of the things they wanted to do, I think, and I, the, the, it's in the American Gospel here where um, some denomination, I think it's Presbyterian, PC, I can't remember which one, wanted to, uh, they're coming out with a new hymn book, and they have that one song where um, it talks about the Christ's blood was satisfied, yeah. and they wanted to change that. They want to take that blood out of there because they didn't like it. And the authors of the song said, no, you can't do that. You leave it in. So they, they omitted that particular hymn in their hymn book because they didn't like the idea that the blood of Christ satisfies the wrath of God. We don't like that. That's a slaughterhouse religion. We're more sophisticated than that. What's Romans say? By his blood, he saved us. It's not, it's not by anything else. Was there another way God could have pulled this thing off? No. No. His blood to be received by how? By faith. How, do you, how, do you, how is that sacrifice of Christ applied to you? By faith, by believing. Not by anything you do. It's not your works. 
doing those sacrifices yeah. that God <coughs> told them to do, and then it was a reminder of what was to come. Mm -hmm. So now we don't have to do that anymore. We don't have to kill bulls and no. sheep and rams and everything and do all this. Christ took care of that once for all. And his. And his sacrifice was a once-for-all sacrifice, see? Right. See, the, the writer of Hebrews says, you know, in the Old Covenant, you know it was temporary. How do you know the Old Covenant was temporary? Well, what did you have to do every single year? Yeah. You had to bring a bull back. You had to bring an, you know, you had to do another offering, just one year. But when Christ, when he did this, what did he do? He offered one sacrifice for sin forever, and then what did he do? He sat down. Was there any chairs in the temple? No. No. Why? They could never rest. I get one freaking bull killed, and I got to do another one. And I got to do another one. I got to do another one. And I got to do another one. There was no rest. But what did Christ do? When he did it, he sat down because it was done. Right. I, I think that's yeah. He didn't say by his death and blood, by his blood, but implied in the blood of Christ is his death. It's, it's just that the lamb, you could not just take a little bit of blood out of the lamb and let it go bob on back into the, you know, the flock. It died. No. No, it's the whole preponderance of scripture. This was to show God's righteousness. Why did God do it this way? Understand, the reason God does anything is to do what? Why does God do anything? What does it mean to glorify God? Pay honor to God, but also to do what? To show Show who he is, right? We glorify God when we display who God is. We display part of his character, who he is. See, that's, what, that's why God created the universe. God created the universe to display his character to that which he created. So when you glorify God, you're just making God look good. That's all. To show who his father is, to display his father's character. To another way, I could have, I could have kept, kept him alive, but I let the blood of God have been brought him back. You know? So that God may now, you know, think about we wouldn't have that chapter John eleven if Lazarus hadn't died. It shows Christ is the resurrection, and the life. I did this that you may be glorified. And by the way, the Bible tells us that everything we do, we should do what? To glorify God in everything we do, to make God look good. That's all it means, is to make God look good. You display God's character by acting like God, really, by living a holy life as best you can. And of course, you know, we're, we're, we're going to fail. We know that. We're not perfect. But we can glorify God. It's interesting, in Achan, when Achan sinned, what did Joshua tell him do? Confess your sin and glorify God. He's about ready to get stoned. 
to death. Well, him and his whole family. Well, how did that glorify God? Well, what did it display to the Jewish people? You better obey me. And he's getting exactly what he deserves. You understand that? I'm not being unkind to him. I'm not having a bad day. It's just that I need to make an example of him because you need to get this idea of obedience down. Why didn't Ananias and Sapphira fall dead? God's trying to make a point. Don't lie to me. So the question is, why are we here? Yeah, how many, how many, yeah, we would have people falling down in the middle of the service dead, you know, it's like, whoa, you know. We're here to glorify God. We're here to make God look good. And it says here, he did this to show God's righteousness because, and this, this is interesting, he had to show God's righteousness because God in his divine forbearance had passed over former sins. The idea of forbearance there is to put up with. What enabled God to not exact the death penalty on David for his sin? Because God knew what would happen someday. That would be taken care of. Nobody got away with it. See, you could say, well, why did David get away with sin and this other guy didn't? And Paul's making the argument here, listen, in all of history to that point, nobody got away with anything. All that happened was that that was put on account. And when Christ died, what happened to those accounts? They were paid in full. Yeah, but what was the just penalty for his sin? Yeah. If if you go if if you go postal and shoot your wife, and you're being you know arraigned before the judge, say, look, you know, for X number of years, you know, I've been a good guy, you know, I paid my taxes, you know, I've been really a nice guy, and 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 the judge says, you know, you're right, you know, just just go home. No, doesn't work that way. You thought I could get away with it. You thought you get away with it, but no, it, it's that it doesn't matter what you do. He he deserved death. But what enabled God to not exact the penalty at that point? Because God just forgot about it. God knew his heart. But what did God know? What was it that enabled God to let David skate by at that time? Because God knew what was going to happen a thousand years later. It was going to be paid. It was going to be paid. What Paul is saying is, <clears throat> it's easy for you to sit back and say, well, when you look at the Old Testament, it's sort of like God is a little capricious, you know. Here, here, here's Moses who does something wrong, and he just gets, you know, he can't go to the promised land. Here's David who murders somebody, and he's like, bye. And here's Achan who just puts a wedge of gold in his tent, and he dies along with all of his family. That seems a bit arbitrary with God. Is God really being fair? And Paul is saying, well, you know, all those sins, they're all being paid for. Christ cleared the accounts. Because that could be a besmirch on the name of God, right? Yes. Why did God let that guy get away with it and this other guy, he lowered the boom? Number one, he has a right to display mercy on whom he will, but ultimately, what enabled him to not lower the boom on David? The penalty was going to be paid. Yes. 
No, David didn't get away with anything. Yes. And see, see that's that's what these boys miss here. See, we, we get this idea theology is boring. Who needs to go to theology? Learn about the doctrine of God? Blah. Help me with my marriage. No, listen. If you understand who God is, it changes everything else. You can't see see when we when we when we look at ourselves and look at our attributes, we see them in opposition to one another, don't we? You got the loving father, but then you got the guy who has to discipline his kids, and we see that as a conflicting, you know, son, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, you know, kind of thing. You know, we see that in conflict. That's not the way it is with God. God, God's attributes are all in perfect harmony and balance with every other attribute. There's no attribute in conflict. God's justice is not in conflict with his love. All right? We don't understand that. That's called the simplicity of God. You don't understand that. But God does not say, okay, I love them, but if to love them, i got to forget about my attribute of justice. No, it doesn't go that way. Nor can God say, well, I'm just, so I'm going to have to condemn them all to hell, but then I love them, so I'm going to... No, it doesn't. His attributes are not in conflict. Ours are, because we're human, we're fallen. We're conflicted. God's not. What enabled God to look over the sin of David? Because God knew that someday what would happen? The debt would be paid in full. David didn't get away with anything. Nobody ever gets away with anything. Somebody pays the price. Either you or Christ, the price is going to be paid. The books are going to be cleared at the end of the age. Everything's going to be balanced out. But it's forbearance. The idea of forbearance there means to, to pass over. It's an interesting word. To put off, really. It means to put off, to tolerate. What enabled God to tolerate the sins of his people in the Old Testament? Because God knew that someday the price would be paid. That enabled him to pass over them. I thought it was because none of the old covenants worked. Well, it didn't. The old covenant didn't work. It was never intended to work. But Paul is sitting here saying, what enabled God, when Abraham would believe God, what enabled God to say you're righteous? Because Abraham was righteous? Because someday what would happen? All of Abraham's sin would be covered. It would be paid. Be paid. So it was to show his, so Paul, number one says, it was to show his righteousness in times past for the sins he passed over. But right now, even now, it's to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. What enables God to be both just and the justifier? What enables God to be perfectly just in exacting the penalty for sin while at the same time forgiving the sins of his people. The blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. It's not because he takes one of his attributes away, as Furtick says. It's because the righteousness of Christ. Because of the death of Christ, the blood of Christ paid the penalty. That's what he's saying here. And what enables God to be just and the justifier it is Christ's blood. And how do you get that? You believe. 
How does that apply to you? You believe God. How do you get it? You believe God. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. So God can be just and the justifier. How is that? Through the death of Christ. No. No. In fact, I think we're going to spend all of eternity trying to figure this out. We're not going to get anywhere with it. We won't know it fully. I think that's part of the wonder. God is infinite. Are you going to figure out an infinite God? You're a finite human being. Are you going to understand the infinite? We're not. We'll know more than we do now, right? But I think we're going to, I think in heaven, you know, we'll sit around and, you know, hey, Dan, why are you here? And he's going to say, I have no freaking idea. <laughs> and he's going to say, how are you here? I said, I have no idea. I think there's going to be some things we'll never know. Yeah, there are some things we'll never know. Because God's infinite, we're not. If we could figure God out, that would make us as smart as God, right? What's that? Is that the same thing that happened with Adam and Eve? Well, they knew God, good and evil. They don't know everything. Do they know everything? Do you know why God does what God does? The only, the only reason we know sometimes of why God does things, because why? Because we figured it out or because he told us? He told us, because you're not going to figure it out on your own. Well, somebody said once we get to heaven, we probably won't even worry about those things. Anymore. We probably won't. I mean, to get to heaven, it's not going to be, uh, you know, I really want to figure out this answer to this question. It's not going to be relevant to us. The questions we have now in our mind, yeah. once we get to heaven, a new body, and those things may, probably won't even enter our mind. Yeah. Well, look what happened when God showed up to Job. What happened when God showed up to Job? Job said, I have all these questions for you guys. Okay, I'll answer your question. Let me ask you some things first. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the Lord? Where were you when I did this? Where were you? Do you know this? Do you know that? Do you know? Finally, Job just said, okay, fine. I'll shut up. He never did get the answer to his question, did he? Did it matter to him? People say, well... I will tell you this, if your wife passed away, she would not be worried about you. No. You know, so, so you're in heaven and everything is just you know, indescribable. You're in the presence of God. You see your son shooting up heroin. Yeah. Yeah, really. No. 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 Who wants? I don't want to, I, when I get to heaven, I don't want to be looking down here and seeing what's going on. I really don't. You've already seen it. Yeah. You're going to be in heaven. I mean, it's interesting. You look at the book of Revelation. You know, all hell's breaking loose on the planet. You know, tribulation, great tribulation, judgments. And what's heaven up to? The angels are singing. We're worshiping God. Yes. Nobody's upset. No. Nobody's wondering what's going on down here. Now listen, this is, and this is the key one of the key parts of this one. Then what becomes of our boasting? Boasting. Paul's just saying, how do you get propitiation? How does that apply to you? How do you believe? How do you get justified by faith? So where does boasting comes in? And the answer is, it doesn't. See, here's the problem. The Jews 
prided themselves on God owes me. God owes me heaven because I keep the law. God owes me heaven because I do this or that or the other thing. It's an obligation by God. And Paul says, uh, no, no obligation here. God's obligated nothing to nothing. Where comes the boasting? It is excluded. What does it mean to be excluded? It is completely disconnected. It's not there. It's not there. By what kind of principle? The law here is principle. What kind of principle? What, what, what excludes boasting? By what principle? By law of works? No, by the law of faith. Here's, here's what Paul's getting at. If salvation were by works, what could we do for all of eternity? Brag on how we got there. So, Dan, why are you here? Well, you know, I love the Lord, and I, I, I was smart enough to believe, and I spent my whole life, you know, and I, I, you know, I was married to, you know, this person who was a pain, but, you know, I, I loved her anyways, and I was a good husband, and, Danny, why are you here? Well, I was a nice guy, you know, I married to Jan, you know, and I went to church, and I was a deacon, and I was a trustee, and, you know, I did all of this kind of stuff. And I was better than Dan. I wasn't as bad as he was. We'd spend all of eternity comparing ourselves. And, and God is saying, I don't need that. When I get to heaven, and, some, and you all ask me, Alan, what are you doing here? I say, I have no idea. I asked God why he chose me, and he wouldn't give me an answer other than he wanted to. So I guess that's why I'm here. Which is, By the way, how would you get here? When we look at each other, we're all going to understand one thing. And this is, we will understand this. We don't deserve it. And we didn't earn it. Every religion of the world has this idea that you work your way to God. You earn it. God owes you one. You need to be worthy. I remember talking to a Mormon from where I work, and I used to do genealogical research. One time I went up to the library up there in Westlake. They have a genealogical library, and uh, they wouldn't let me in because they were doing a temple dedication of some temple out, and I don't know where it was, and only Mormons were allowed in, and the only Mormons that were allowed in were ones that got recommended by their bishop to go in there because they were worthy to witness this. And I was talking to her. I said, I don't get this. You know, well, don't you believe you've got to be worthy to enter God's presence? And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I said, here's the... I came up with this, this one of my more brilliant ideas, which is not a lot of them. The more you think you deserve heaven, the least likely you are to go there. Yeah. My favorite example is the thief on the cross. He, he said, we're getting what we deserve, and God says... You're in. Did he know about, was he a theologian? Didn't know a whole lot, did he? No. He knew that I'm getting what I deserve. This man's not getting what he deserves. Remember me. And Christ says, I'll remember you. So here's the point. The more, the more you think you deserve <coughs> heaven, the least likely you are to go there. Yeah. Well, then you're, you're basing your uh, on works. Then. On works. 
And they, 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 you know, she gave me a blank look. I said, well, don't you think you need to be worthy? That's like, you don't understand what it means. You don't understand because nobody's worthy. Romans 5.8 is going to say when we were his enemies, he loved us. God didn't love people who liked him. He loved people who hated him. Christ is dying on the cross and he says, Father, what? Forgive them. This is not, Paul's, Paul's making it very clear here. He's, he's really hitting it this, this deeply. You get justified, you get forgiven because Christ paid the penalty for you. He took your place. He died in your place. And the only way you, that applies to you is you believe. You don't work for it. You don't earn it because God does not need a whole bunch of people throughout all of eternity bragging how they got there. It's not you. How would you like to spend all of eternity having to defend why you're there? Well, you know, Dan, I, I really don't think you should be here because you, know, you, you weren't as good a Christian as I was. What are you doing here? Really? You want to spend all of eternity doing that? When we get to heaven, we're all going to understand one thing. I think that we're going to understand this perfectly. I don't deserve to be here. Not a works. And see, isn't it awesome that, you ever think about this, God provided a means of salvation available to everybody. Your salvation does not depend on how much money you've earned, because what if you can't earn that much? It doesn't depend on how much good works you do, because maybe you don't live long enough to do enough good works to, to to cut it. It doesn't, it's not on your intellect, definitely not on your intellect. Because what if you don't understand it? What if you're unable to comprehend? It's not on any of that stuff. It's only by one thing. Do you believe God? Rahab. Believe God. That's all. She didn't know any more than God wiped out the Egyptians 40 years ago. Israel's here. We're scared. I want to be on that side. She acted on what she knew. She didn't know much, but whatever it was, she acted upon it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he probably had some idea. Of, yeah. He knew somehow. I mean, he, he. I mean, everybody knew who Christ was. He was a miracle worker. You know, they knew that. But there was something in him that. Remember me. Yeah. We don't know. Exactly. We don't know. I don't know your heart. You know, my no, heart. And he does. God knows your heart. That's right. And by the way, just so, just to really reduce your boasting to nothing, why did you believe? God gave you the ability to believe, or you wouldn't believe. We love him because he did what? He took the initiative. Understand, every passage in the Bible that talks about our salvation, God is the initiator, not you. 
I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not because the sheep are looking for me, but I'm looking for them. God takes the initiative. He saved us. Not by works of righteousness, which would be done, but according to mercy, wouldn't it? He saved us by his mercy. He took the initiative. Yes. We don't like that. Because we like to think that I did something. I believed, you know, I was smart. You know, I listened to that evangelist, and I was one of the ones that was smart enough to, you know, the only reason you believed is because God did what? Open your heart. What did Paul say to, to or what did um, Peter say to Simon Magus? You better repent. I hope that God grants you repentance. What do you, why didn't you just tell him to repent? You better hope that God grants you repentance. That God allows you to repent. John 6, 7, and 8, Christ is talking to the Pharisees. He said, you don't come to me. Why? Because it's not been given to you by the Father to see it. Here's the point. When you get to heaven, even the faith you had to believe the message was not your faith. That not of yourselves. So you go back to Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You know, I always grew up. For, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. And we all, I also said, well, see, it's by grace which is not of yourselves. No, that's not what not of yourselves is looking for, back to. It's looking backward to faith. The antecedent is faith, not grace. You're saved by grace. You appropriate that by faith, but that faith is what? It's not yours. Where does it come from? God granted you the faith to believe. That's the message of Job, by the way, right? What's the message of Job? Job, you know, Satan comes in trotting into God's presence, say, you know, hey, what about, you know, God said, what about my servant Job? Say, yeah, yeah, right, you know. I mean, I would serve you too if I got all the goodies. And Christ said, I'll take you up on that challenge. And what is God trying to prove to Satan? That the faith that he grants his believers is what kind of faith? It doesn't fail. If it was your faith, what would happen? Yeah, you don't want that faith. God has shown Satan that the faith I give my people is an unfailing faith. Oh, it might waver. You might have some bumps along the way. But at the end of the day, what happens? It doesn't fail. You're justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. It is by faith and by faith alone. It's not by boasting. It's not because of what you did. And, and later chapters, he's going to talk about how the faith, even the faith is not yours. God grants you the faith to believe. Stop and think about it. You believe in a place. How many of you, how many in here have been to heaven? Take a tour of heaven. Why do you believe it's there? Why do you believe it's there? But why do you believe that? You know, they have places for people who believe in things true, right? And they give you medication and put you in a rubber room. Why do you believe that stuff? Why do you believe in a... Have you ever, anybody ever talked to Jesus personally? Have Jesus actually talked to them? Yes. Verbally? In person? I don't know. I've not had Jesus show up to me. I've not had God show up to me. I've not had a tour of heaven in spite of what these guys on TV say. But I will tell you this. I believe it. Why? Because God gave me the faith to believe. 
It's not because it's it's not because of me. It's not because of my great intellect and my brilliancy and my mind and my whatever. No. And that says here, it's he. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? If it's by faith and not by works, then everybody's in on this thing. Everybody's in. All you got to do is believe. Doesn't matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or whatever. By faith. Yes, so the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Don't get the by and through all mangled up. Whether you're, whether you're circumcised, what's that, the Jew, or you're uncircumcised, whether you're Gentile, how is it that you're saved? How is it that you get faith or um, salvation? You believe by faith. By faith. It's not because of anything you do. Do we overthrow the law by this faith? Do we, over, do we get rid of the law now? No, we establish it. We uphold it. What does it mean to establish, to uphold the law in this regard? What was the law meant to do? What's the purpose of the law? Huh? Reveal it. All, God, all the law, the, the, the reason God gave you the law is to bring us to the point where we say uncle. We get it. We can't keep it. Remember what we said a couple weeks back. You got to get lost before you can get saved. We have people today that say we don't want to worry about getting people lost yet. We don't want to hurt their self-esteem, make them feel bad. Da 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 da. Listen, if you don't see yourself in need of salvation, you're not going to get it. God, be merciful to me, a what? Sinner. Sinner. That guy that stood in the. A publican that stood far off said, "God be merciful." He said, "God, you know, be you know, I've made a couple of mistakes. I had a bad day, and you know, what do you do? Do you make any excuses?" He accepted responsibility. How is it that you're saved? You're saved by faith. Why? Because God wants to get rid of any boasting. It's not you. It really is not you. It's all of God. And the thing that keeps me awake at night sometimes is wondering, why in the world would God, in whatever reason, why would God have chosen to reveal himself to me? And I can't come up with a good answer. And I probably never will. <coughs> and I'm not going to get to heaven and God say, well, you know, I just sort of liked you better than somebody else. No, he's not going to say that. He said, because I loved you. I love you. And, and, and he's not going to give me a reason beyond that. So what, what's our response? Our response is to appreciate that. We can't work. Now that we have salvation, can we earn, work to keep it? No. It's not you that keeps it. Who keeps you? God keeps you. You don't keep God. God keeps you. It's by faith. That faith is not of yourselves. God grants it to you. God gives you the faith to believe. So then the question is, okay, well, if that's the case then, then why do we do evangelism? I mean, why do I go out and tell people if they believe in Christ, you know, they can be saved? Is that a true statement, by the way? 
Can I go up to a person and say, if you believe the gospel and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved? Is that a true statement? Yeah. Who's going to respond? The ones that God reveals himself to. I remember Jack White. I know some of you remember Jack White. He's a good old boy. I remember him from way back when. But he did EE a lot, you know. And I remember one time, and we'll close with this, he was talking to me about uh, going on EE calls, you know. And I said, yeah, we went on this one EE call, you know, and we presented the gospel. And he said, you know, it was, it was probably the best presentation I've ever done. He said, actually, we probably should have taped this thing, you know. Can we get sent it off to Coral Ridge, you know, and have them in their training? This is how you do it. I said, what happened? Nothing. So the next week we went out and we had another gospel presentation and we did everything wrong. In fact, you should have taped this and say, okay, guys, this is what you don't do. I said, what happened? Everybody got saved. What is it? It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not you. Now, you need to open your mouth. But somebody believes it's not because you talked them into it. Because God opened their heart. Right. And God opened your heart and my heart. Right. And there's no boasting. When we get to heaven, we're not going to sit around saying, boy, I'm, I'm glad I believed. I'm glad I did this. I'm glad I did that. No, none of that's going to count. We're just going to all just say, to God be the glory. Great things he has done. It's not me. And that's the way it, God designed it. So, next week we're going to be looking at Abraham and David. And what Paul's now going to do is he's going to take what he said here in chapter 3 and we're going to see it fleshed out in greater detail. Thank you, Father, for today and for this time in your word. And um, we're all pretty humbled. When we think, Father, that none of us deserve any good thing from your hand but eternal death. For whatever reason, you granted us the faith to believe and opened our hearts and opened our minds and we came to you by faith, a faith that you granted to us, so that when we get to heaven, we can all look at each other and say, were it not for the grace of God, I would not be here. It's not anything we did. It's what you did. We thank you for sending your son to pay the price for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that you can be just and the justifier. Help us to ponder these truths and think about them as we go our way this week. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.